is the Miskatonic Alumni Association, and we are back for another discussion episode because we're still trapped from the coronavirus and cannot do what we intend to do. I'm one of your hosts, Bill, and this is Terry, my good friend, who is trapped far, far from home. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing good, Paul. I'm doing good. It's uh, good to be back in the studio, quotation marks, yourself. How's things your side? Uh, as good as could be expected, yeah. I think um, probably uh, people should know that we've also released this as a podcast, as an audio yeah. podcast that is, so not only YouTube, but audio now. Um, uh, we're in the process of getting that set up, so hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, I thought we could like sort of just catch up on what we spoke about last week, um, not in any great detail, but we just really spoke about episode one of Lovecraft Country, especially, you know, we touched on a bit there, like the importance of books and literature in that story and for the characters and what we both didn't understand about the show and whether it was actually Lovecraftian. Um, so if people knew about that, they can listen to it. Um, that leads me into like first small note I'd like to make before we get into any of the, the heavier stuff we'll talk about. Uh, the books and literature that I was talking about last week that I feel plays like a pretty important role both in story and shown as the characters um, was again right at the beginning. Uh, they mentioned Clark Ashton Smith, uh, one of yeah. his books. Just as an aside, but I thought that was a neat little how can I say, aside to uh, somebody that uh, Lovecraft was familiar with and fond of. Yeah, part, um, of, part of his um, writing circle, yeah. Yeah, I think that was a book found in Uncle George's um, room yeah. as part of the library. Part of like, room there, yeah. The, probably the, the last thing I want to mention on that was like another book uh, that he spotted, I think, if I remember right, according to my notes, was um, The House... On the Borderlands, like was oh the yeah, they that mentioned he, that yeah, House on the Borderlands, yeah, that he pulled out to actually open a, a secret passageway that led them to led him to some other interesting stuff that plays later in the episode. Um, and uh, yeah, that's something actually I, I want to come back to in one of our points. So, um, but what, what what are you thinking? Like, what what should we touch on first here? Uh, I think the first thing, just like at the notes, um, again, we're going to try stick to roughly three points, three very loose points uh, in our thoughts. I think um, memories play a very large role in this episode. And you see um, not just not just the big memory scenes where each of the three main characters are trapped in like a memory of their own or at least a fantasized version of something in their memory or something that they long for but there's also the memories of the um the new characters that were introduced to in this episode and how the past really ties into what they're doing in this present episode um so what are your thoughts on that terry yeah, I think very much so. I agree with you, especially the part we're talking about the past. Um, like, if I remember or Atticus, we already had like some glimpses of his past in a in the previous episode with like um, when he's walking in the old apartment and you can see these uh, 
marks on the wall, these like dents um, where he had a huge fight with his father. We still don't know much about like his relationship with his father. It seems pretty strange. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same point, uh, we he phoned South Korea and yeah. he was on the verge of speaking to the woman on the other end of the line. Didn't. So we don't really know much about his past um, when he was in the military. And that mm-hmm. sort of played in his sort of little, uh, the glimpse we had. His violent memory there. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I, I found it was interesting that these memories of the three of them as they were playing out. Um, we're almost serving as entertainment for a group of guests that have come there and we're yeah, watching yeah. them. Uh, I think I w- as part of the show itself, I was really impressed with how it was just presented us with no, without knowing what we were seeing. So we first sort of see Letty's one um, as she's going through it. And then it like zooms out. And using mm. a bit of CGI, it goes around to the other side of this mansion. And then we see, oh, Atticus is there. So yeah. you're like, oh, what, is there two of him? What's happening? What's going on? So I thought it was yeah. a bit of nicer filmmaking style there, actually. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think I, I, especially that part when it was, they start with um, Letty and Atticus. And for a moment, I'm thinking like, Oh, is he is he free now? Is he is he out of his room? Mm. And like something's odd here because he's not mentioning it. But then you see, like for whatever reason, yeah, they, this is just being used to entertain on um, these cultists, pretty much who own this mansion. Yeah, and you know, like not only that section of the the show dealt with memories for me. Like one of the important things was like where Atticus is recapping like what happened to them the previous night and it's only him that can actually remember anything yeah Um, Yeah. which was really strange and then you know later on the episode like he's still he's speaking to uh, one of the other major characters um christina braithwaite and Mm -hmm. he he asks a you know remove this sort of limit on their memory and she does that. And that's when they then segue into this whole aspect of their memories where they're each playing through a little, mon- not montage, but a little section of their past or a memory of some sort. Yeah. So that, that was really a cool thing as well, I think. Um, but I know this whole memories thing in the past, like it also ties into this new family we've met, the the Braithwaites, uh, who have mm. like this strange past with, the the matriarch or matriarch of the the, the <laughs> family like in the 1800s i think uh titus yeah i'm Brethwaite. not sure what year it was yeah and like who would become later who would become the great great whatever grandmother of atticus mm-hmm. and then i know uh we we're also already given this like little teaser that in 1833 this whole mansion had actually burned down Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, I can't recall whether we actually know what they were doing, but I do know later in the show, it's actually told to us that this was a ritual that uh, Titus Braithwaite was trying to perform at that point, but it went yeah. wrong and burnt this whole um, mansion down. And I, I suppose that leads nicely into our second big point about uh, rituals and heritage, right? Yeah, because... Uh... And 
you see so much of the past in this episode. You see so much of how the past is still influencing the actions of the present. And the rituals of the past, the cultists, the ones the cultists do, they need the blood of uh, Titus, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Titus Braithwaite. I still can't remember the names of the characters, but yeah. Uh, so Atticus being the last living member of that bloodline, uh, he's needed there. So it's the heritage of this occult family, this occult bloodline that is needed. And I know in the last episode was speculating that oh, Titus is, or not Titus, apologies, Atticus is part of this family and they are monsters and that. I was completely wrong about the monsters thing, um, unless you count how horrible his family is. But, but it's just interesting uh, how much that they use these little moments of it's who you are is what gives you power. And when you think about all the racism and all the other really like charged points that in episode one and in episode two, it's all about who you are as well, how people treat you. So there, there's a lot of your heritage being how you're defined in this series. And that's what leads people to treat you with respect. That's what leads people to treat you with contempt. And it's a really interesting take. It's a really, I, I think because it's merging the social issues, the societal issues with it, it has another level that the a typical Lovecraft story, which also deals with heritages and rituals and cults. It's done in a completely different way because it has different layers in it in this series. Um, I, I don't know. What did you get out of it? What were your feelings on the heritage involved here? I, I think that is probably like one of the biggest points in this episode, um, particularly with like Atticus's heritage, as you said, where um, he's sort of, seen as having some connection, genetic connection to Titus Braithwaite, um, mm. which is interesting to me. It shows the two polar opposites where they're um, at one point, him and Uncle George are invited to that dinner and mm -hmm. they sort of flip the books on this whole order of the ancient dawn, as they're called, where uh, Uncle George says that look, Atticus has this direct connection to Titus Braithwaite, you know, this heritage. And this then gives him power over the other members, yeah. which they try to use as a as leverage to sort of get out of there. And at the same point, you can see the opposite towards, you know, obviously more in spoiler territory, yeah, but towards the end of the show where it's sort of let slip from Uncle George that maybe... Atticus doesn't have this connection simply because he, he, his father, who they're after rescuing, he might, that might not actually be his father. Yeah, yeah. And that <laughs> leads to this whole uh, ritual that they want to perform, which relies on him having this connection, not actually working out in the way it was originally intended. So it, mm. it was really interesting. The same point, like, um, not only from 
uh, a sort of racial point of view, but this one also had um, Samuel Braithwaite's daughter, Christina, who we got a glimpse of in episode one. She then uh, complains about the fact that she's sort of jealous of Atticus simply because he can become a member automatically just by having this genetic connection. And she can never do that no matter what she does because she is a woman and unable. Yeah. Um, there were a few other points that like sort of tied into the the sort of racial standpoint from the first one. Like I remember when they managed to get to this little town that looked strangely Amish in a way, like with people dressed in really old style. Um, yeah. And they met the sheriff, who was almost uh, grossly racist in the way she speaks about black people. At least that was yeah. the impression I got. Um, yeah, that's what she was intending without saying it. So that was nice. I mean, it also gave us a, bit, a few more hints on the, the creatures we'd seen in the previous episodes. And now we know how they're controlled. And um, that, that was an interesting point for me was like when you see Christina Braithwaite like going to this cow that's giving birth and then out pops like a little tiny monster. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't exactly know what the point was. Maybe it's trying to give us some more idea because this is the f- about her character. But um, I yeah. think uh, probably the other thing in terms of the rituals was another big point was magic and the role that sort of mm-hmm. plays in this episode. So I, I know you yeah. had a few ideas about that, right? Yeah, the the thing is, and I was talking with... Um, with a, another YouTuber who commented on our last video about it, um, carried the conversation over into one of his channels. But uh, for for me, with, when I was thinking about the magic, is looking at it, this is not really Lovecraftian, uh, this show, the entire show, actually. I mean, it has the name Lovecraft, but it's not... It's not strictly Lovecraftian, and one thing about that was the magic is you do have magic of in a sense in Lovecraft stories. There, there are rituals, there are spells performed, and there are strange things that happen. But uh, especially if you even look at the role-playing game Call of Cthulhu, which is based on H.P. Lovecraft's works, uh, there's magic in that too. But the magic in Lovecraft stories. And that you'll see in that role-playing game, they aren't so direct in most situations, and they are more tied into typically much larger rituals, much larger sacrifices. Uh, this, to me, the magic in this show struck me more as like Dungeons and Dragons type magic. That you have these wizards here, the Braithwaite family, and like that they put up a wall like that they call off the monsters like that they they do all sorts of things makes cars flip make hits invisible wall it's not the kind of magic you see in the lovecraft mm-hmm. story even from people they describe as wizards in the story so this to me is more and i'm going back into role playing terms uh pulp cthulhu this is not your classic Lovecraftian story of everything is almost real. Everything is almost the natural world, but something is off. Something is slightly different, and the world slowly is changing around the people based on 
how their minds are being affected by the supernatural and by the monsters and by the cosmic. Uh, it's not like spellcasters, like the Braithwites seem to be here, where all of them could just pop up magic spells out of the blue. Uh, so I, I think, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think the magic in the show is is a lot more pulpy. And this is supposed to be a pulpy horror adventure, not necessarily a Lovecraft story, at least not at this point. Uh, I think it's a horror story where Atticus, who is clearly a Lovecraft fan, and like you said, literature, books, it plays a huge role in this. He's clearly a fan of Lovecraft. It's already stated he's familiar with the works. So he's relating these horrors that he's witnessing in Lovecraftian terms. That's why the monsters in episode one, he's calling Shoggoth when they hear the noise out there. But what you see is not anything like a Shoggoth, and it's not really even like anything you typically hear about in the Lovecraft story or matches up with any common monster in the Lovecraft story. So I think it's Lovecraft in name, and again, not taking away from the series. It's Lovecraft in name, but it's not Lovecraftian if that makes sense. And the magic is probably the number one issue for me. It I don't know, how do you feel about it? I feel like it's used a lot as a crutch and a plot device that instead of there being a natural solution, there's just an instant magic spell that stops the situation or changes the situation. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, definitely the term pulp, I think, is really appropriate here. Yeah? It seems that the show so far seems to be in like an amalgamation of like several uh, genres. Like we've got Lovecraft's name in it, obviously. And um, as we saw in the first episode, the very first thing we see is this daydream of Atticus. That's like a ton of pulp and cultural references yeah. thrown in with some Lovecraft. And I, I think that's almost a good way of describing the show. While it might not be Lovecraftian, like you say, um, there's certainly influences, but I, I think they're really just fleeting influences. It's mm. almost like, at least in the first two episodes, the name Lovecraft is there, but it's not really a major part of the show at all. It's just yeah. a background part of the character. Like, I think definitely Pulp plays a huge role in this. Um, it, it just seems to come through in a lot of things. Like you said, the magic, like the show in episode two had this like really pulpy thing to it. Like, and it seems to be like a deus ex machina style thing of like, okay, mm. they can't leave the room. So we're going to throw up this invisible wall. Oh, <laughs> this character has been um, terribly injured, but we're going to let, let them survive through this simple bit of magic, which we don't even see. Um, and we, we have no idea how can this Braithwaite family be so powerful? Like where do they get so this powerful, magic from? Yeah. Um, the only sort of, Lovecraftian thing in this episode for me was the actual ritual which you know surrounded yeah. by cultists and with the, the ritual being performed and what that that looked Lovecraftian enough to me in something yeah. I could imagine happening but other than that I think it was a bunch of D&D characters as you said doing their spells <laughs> at whatever level wizard they were yeah it's yeah it's it's not a negative point and i i don't want to come off in that way because i'm mm. enjoying it and i think it, it's good to recognize that it's not lovecraftian just because it's using the name lovecraft 
you shouldn't mix the two. This is its own unique entity, and it's really entertaining. I like it, but but I think if people are not familiar with Lovecraft's writings, Lovecraft's type of horror, which they call cosmic horror, uh, I think it, it might give them the wrong impression. But it definitely fits in the pulp uh, atmosphere, which, you know, a lot of the, the writers in Lovecraft's circle of friends and writers and that, they took a lot more pulpy turns uh, in presenting his stories. And I'm sure we'll talk about more of those other writers down the line, including, of course, Clark Ashton Smith, who made a uh, his debut, as it were, in this episode with with his book there, but uh, um, like sorry, but uh, one thing I I do want to bring up like is I think you you mentioned now cosmic horror being like probably mm. one of the core tenets of um, a Lovecraft story, and definitely that's something that is nowhere to be found in the show, unless no. we we're thrown a curveball in the next episode or uh, before the end of the series, but. Um, I don't think it makes the show any worse or any better. No. It, it, the show is its own thing, right? So like, yeah. I, I think people, I think people who are already Lovecraft fans who come into this hoping for a Lovecraftian TV series are going to be disappointed. Mm. But that's not the yeah. fault of the show or the book it's based on. Um, yeah. At the same point, I think people who look at this or read the book and go like, oh, this Lovecraft guy sounds pretty cool. Let me read some of his stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're also going to come away disappointed. So I think it's a halfway yeah. house between the two, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think um, in the upcoming week or two, uh, we're probably going to maybe even make our own discussion video about this for anyone who's interested in... Like, well, not just um, what's Lovecraftian horror, what's cosmic horror, just to get a better understanding so you don't go in with those wrong expectations and find yourself let down or confused at what's happening. But um, also, I'd like to, I think we should do a video, I would like to, about the role-playing game and talk about the different versions of that because I think um, for people who are fans of this show, and especially if they like the more action, pulpy uh, environment that the show creates. Like, if you want to relive that on your own or make your own stories, um, there's nothing better than the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. So I think that's something um, people should be made aware of. And we're going to be talking about Lovecraft and Lovecraftian things for quite a while uh, until we get everything set up correctly. So why not, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a hell of a lot to talk about. Like, I think um, the RPG is a really nice thing for people who are keen in actually getting into uh, role-playing games as such, because I think almost everyone knows a bit of Lovecraft, whether or not they're a fan, they're aware of him. So that could be a good way to get into RPG games. So or, hopefully... or even whether or not they're aware that they're aware of him too, because it's shocking how deeply embedded Lovecraft's ideas and creations are in all of modern horror and even a lot more fiction outside of that that people don't even realize that what they know it has originated from Lovecraft. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose now this is, gives us a good chance to actually talk about some plans for the channel, like in the upcoming weeks, months, and so on. Like, uh, yep. the, the RPG game is something we'd like to dig into sort of as an introduction 
um, because we're going to be doing hopefully in the future some playthroughs of it, um, whether it's through live streaming or just record, uh, recording it. Um, I know personally, I'd like to sort of touch on some of the old adventure games um, mm-hmm. of uh, GOG.com that I've got hold of. Um, and there was just the news yesterday that the other day that Frogwares uh, Sinking City game that's heavily Lovecraftian was uh, pulled yeah. from all the sort of stores yeah, uh, due to yeah. some licensing issues. Um, yeah. So I know like one thing that might actually tie in nicely to our discussion now is I'd love to do a video uh, with some examples of very good Lovecraftian movies, you know, which might mm. be nice for people who watch this and aren't too sure of Lovecraft, but want to sort of get a little taste of what is a Lovecraftian movie. So we yeah. can give them some suggestions or recommendations. They could check those out as well and, you know, sort of see, is there something they're keen on? Um, at the same point, we can also introduce them to uh, the books. I know both you, you and me have got like a hundred copies of the same book. Um, <laughs> the same book again and again, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely worth seeing. Um, I think in, in if I could sort of like wrap up my thoughts in the episode mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that we've been talking about, I, I sort of, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was a good show. Um, I think the, the note I wrote for myself was overall, it's a good episode, but the at the end, like, I'm not sure where it's going from yet. Because I know for episode one, like, oh, I want, Atticus is like, he wants to find his father, you know, he wants, he got this strange letter. And the way episode two ends is like, there's not much more for him to accomplish, if that's using the wrong word, from that first thing he wanted to do in the episode. So I, I didn't feel like that. Like, I don't know about yourself, but did you think it was a strong episode, this? Uh, I, I think compared to the first episode, I, I would say no. I mean, I did like it. I did like a lot of it, but I thought the ending was a bit too abrupt. I, I mean, I know they have a lot more that they're going to do from here. It's only the second episode, but I thought with such a huge buildup to get to this place, I wouldn't expect it to be destroyed within mm. 50 minutes. So I think that that's just a problem in my own expectations, I think. But I I love the characters. I like what they're doing. Uh, I'm very sad uh, to see the apparent, I don't know if it's going to last, but the apparent end of one of the characters. But at the same time, like I I think the momentum from the first episode... Uh, did not continue through this one, especially with the monsters just appearing for for a split second and then disappearing again without doing anything. Uh, just more or less a jump and roar at them. Uh, it kind of takes away from the terror of those creatures. So I, I felt a little let down, and we talked about before, I didn't mention it so much, but the um, anachronistic music that they add in this series where... You know, music not from that time period, modern songs, or even not modern, but later than when the series takes place. Uh, those moments kind of take me out of the out of the scene for a bit, but then I get back into it. That like, oh, this is a pulpy adventure. It's going to have uh, its own flair, sort of like uh, that Heath Ledger movie, A Knight's Tale, where back in the middle ages but it's all modern rock music so it doesn't bother me that much but i still think it's it's enough to trip me up and not keep me fully focused like i would be 
Yeah, I, I think uh, as I told you before the show, my very first thing was the the theme tune for the the Jefferson's plane there, yeah. um, which I sort of agree with you. It does take me out a bit. Like I I feel like for a horror show, there's not actual much horror in it. I don't know yeah. though if it's been marketed as such, but mm. I I feel episode two was just lacking anything that made me sort of. You know, yeah. scared, if for lack of a better term. Especially and, with dancing and singing in the beginning, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do. What I what I am enjoying about the show is I feel like there's a lot of small touches that could be there on on a rewatch. Very much, you know, seeing it's a J.J. Abrams produced show, there mm. always tends to be some sort yeah. of hidden Easter eggs or whatever. Like um, we we've seen like. Uh, the way books are used, like they were going on about the house at the Borderlands, I think. Mm. Um, and they already had, they had this uh, painting that was like really shown that Titus Breathwright had done or had made for him. Mm. Um, and there's like a lot of small things to it like that that they bring in, which is nice. I, I love Easter eggs in shows. Um, yeah. You know, again, they, they bring up the Count of Monte Cristo, which is now like the third or fourth time we've heard about it. Um, mm. We've heard about the Book of Names as well now. Um, and we sort of find out, oh, this ritual in 1833, we found out why it didn't work. And that yeah. was nice. Um, but at the, at the same point, I, I totally agree with you. That momentum was just missing for me, which made the show a bit more of a slog to get through than the first one. Yeah, well, it's only two out of ten, I believe. So we still have a ways to go, and we'll see where they take it from here. But I, I think we we did our part talking a little bit about things that stood out to us for this episode. And um, again, we're not experts on this. We're not. We haven't read the book. Um, we don't watch other videos before we do this. We don't read spoilers. We're just reflecting on our own feelings. And um, yeah, we want to hear what you think too. I mean anything if we're completely off base please tell us uh what we missed in this or tell us what you liked what you didn't like uh again the point is just for us to communicate with other fans and just have a good conversation until we get everything worked out for this channel yeah um i suppose that could lead us into some lost like general housekeeping stuff again like as i said mm -hmm. earlier this is hopefully going to go up soon as an audio podcast. Uh, we're in the process of getting up on iTunes and whatever else, but um, I'm sure we'll have a, a link in the video description on the YouTube channel. Um, I don't know, Bill, is there anything else anyone should know before we sign off? Um, no, I would just say that um, we're getting our social media site set up too, so you could find us on Instagram, um, Twitter. Um, the links would be in the channel there. So, I mean, any any message, we, we're just here to chat. We're just here to have a conversation with other fans. I mean, don't be shy. Leave a comment. Talk to us. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it in future videos too. We want just to enjoy the community of people who like the same stuff that we like. That's kind of what this is about right yeah no so i'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh people can obviously leave us a voice message on the podcast or youtube comment or tweet at us or instagram dm or whatever the other hundreds of thousands of ways of getting in touch with us but yeah I, I definitely look forward to a nice vibrant and constructive uh communication with anyone who's watching and uh yeah hopefully we can get another episode episode up soon then 
Uh, hopefully, yeah. May, hopefully get at least one a week, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, if you watched this far, thank you very much. I, I thank you for being part of this. And Terry, as always, thank you for doing this. Same to you, and, um, Yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks a lot. And well, we'll, we'll see you on the, in the next one, right? Peace, senior. Peace.